podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to your post-match Raw on Anfield Index Pro, podcasting to you from my field here in beautiful rural Ireland. I'm Trev Downey and joining me to give their immediate reactions to Liverpool 3, Brentford 0 in the Premier League from Anfield are Dave Hendrick and Harry Sethi. Dave, I'll take afternoons like that every single day of the week. It was actually enjoyable um, in large quantities. There was a return to just the level of imperiousness that we remember for the likes of Virgil, some very promising bits and signs from other people. I thought our centre forward who really needed reputationally in the eyes of maybe some idiots and the mass media in general, a sort of redemptive performance. I thought he was low key tremendous as well a lot to love in this afternoon showing yeah i think that's probably our second best performance of the season after the villa game um i I thought against villa we just had a little bit more control whereas today i thought in the first half brentford had some real moments where they potentially could have scored with the emboma 1v1 and then they had that little sustained period of pressure in the second half when they had like four or five corners in a row. But overall, I, I thought we were very, very good value for our win. I thought we were comfortably the better team. Um, after the midweek game, we obviously did Raw, and we were very critical of, of the team. And I thought four players in particular that we were criti- critical of, who all played today, and I thought all showed huge improvements. So the first one was Trent, who we were very critical of his defensive effort. And I thought today he showed a far greater defensive effort. I thought he actually put in the work today. Now, it wasn't perfect, but I thought he actually put in the work. Costa Simicus, we have hammered a couple of times on this podcast, and he's deserved it. But today was easily his best performance of the season. Easily. he. I thought he was actually good today. Um, Cody Gakbo, we talked about him and how he doesn't play to his size and he's not physical enough. I thought today he showed some physicality. Uh, driving runs from midfield, competed for some aerials, made himself a presence. And then the last one was Waturo Endo, who I, I questioned, was he actually good enough to play for Liverpool? And I think in the long run, that's still open for debate. But I thought today was his best showing as well. I thought he was very combative in midfield. I thought he used the ball well, recycled it cleanly, played a couple of good passes, had one good carry into an advanced midfield role. Now, he might have been a little bit fortunate on that one challenge with Norgard. Some referees might have seen it differently. I thought it was probably a yellow card foul, but VAR can't give a yellow card. So 
he, he doesn't get any any punishment for it at all. But aside from that, I actually thought he was very, very good. And thought Sabozlai looked better than he has. Diogo Jota obviously taking confidence from the couple of goals he's gotten recently, looking better. And I agree with you. I thought Darwin was excellent, especially in that first half. Very unfortunate with the first goal that was ruled out. The second one was clear cut. The first one was millimetres. But the assist for for Mo is brilliant. And I said when we signed him, and before he signed him, when we were talking about him on the transfer committee show when he was at uh, Benfica, what he reminded me of was part Fernando Torres and part Diego Costa. And what I was getting at with Costa wasn't the shithousery of Costa. It was the work rate, but the unselfishness. Like, if you think of Diego Costa's career... At Chelsea, he was almost a foil. Even though he's the nine, he was almost a foil for Eden Hazard and Pedro. And he enabled them to be the primary goal scorers. He did get his own fair share now, to be fair. But then you look at his Atletico Madrid career. And in his first spell there, he played quite a bit of left wing. Because they had Falco. And then they had Jackson Martinez. And he was like a support player to them. And then the the partnership began with Antoine Griezmann. And what always struck me was he was the nine and Griezmann played off him, but Griezmann was the primary goal scorer. And we have that in our team now where he's the nine, but Mo is the primary goal scorer and Mo plays off Darwin a lot. And when they get central and the two of them can link up, it, it, it does fly both ways. Like Mo is always looking to get Darwin into good positions, but Darwin is so unselfish for Mo. And another brilliant assist for him today. And obviously, Mo gets two goals. That's 200 in English football, 198 for Liverpool, which is just outrageous. He's like, if he'd been here 10 years and had that kind of tally, we'd be impressed for the position he plays. To do it in as, as short a time as he has, he's a one of one. He, he, he might, if he signs another contract and stays next year and maybe two more after that, I think we'll be having a real conversation of, is he the greatest player this club has ever had? I think that's absolutely fair. Uh, look, it needs to be pointed out, he's no danger of getting near Ian Rush's record. That's not the point. The point is... Um, if I disagree. I know you do, you mad joke, but I can't see it happening. I can't see it happening. It, it, it depends on longevity. If he was to stay be, another five years which would bring him to like 37. Yeah. I think he could do it because we're not looking for him to have seasons above and beyond what he's already done. We're just asking him to basically replicate what he's done the last five years or so, last six years or so. And like, he is definitely capable of that because of how he looks after himself. And you could see him moving a little bit more centrally as this team continues to evolve. In time, sorry, I just one thing I missed out on. You mentioned it: the imperious performance of Zidane, of of Zidane, of Van Dijk. <laughs> um, Virgil has been since he came back after the red card. He has been operating at a level that I think is still slightly below his twenty eighteen to twenty twenty best defender anyone's ever seen level. Wasn't but far I think off he, today. Wasn't far no, off. He wasn't. Today. He no. wasn't. That's the thing. I think he's actually the last five, six games, I think he's actually been better than he was in 21-22 when he was the best defender in the world. So that's a really positive sign. And obviously the fella in goal, 
I mean, you run out of things to say about him. He, he might be the best money we've spent under Jurgen because yeah. he's he's just he's incredible. Crucial involvements in every single match. And Harry, if you, the tale of the tape, so to speak, the actual statistics of the game shows that Brentford had 16 shots to our 17 and yeah. that they had 41% of the ball as well. Um, and as Dave mentioned there in his initial breakdown, they had opportunities. A lot of those shots were from distance and wild and flailing, but they were shots nonetheless. But they did have opportunities. They were capable of running through us um, a little bit too often for my liking um, at several periods in the game. So I think that makes this win even better. This was not like the previous games where Liverpool have been underwhelming against weak opposition. Uh, this was a different kind of a threat. Uh, and in Embuemo and some others, they have genuinely good players. He's one. I just love to see barreling around the Liverpool jersey. Uh, I, I think he's great. A tremendous time for that kid. I think he's uh, he's got a lot there uh, uh, in terms of ability. So, like I say to you, it's... On the even just the, the the details of the matches, the the statistics themselves seem to bear out that this was a far bigger threat, and yet there was a feeling of comfort uh, from beginning to end hmm. around about it. That feeling, you know, Harry, we've spoken about before, where our lot can maybe go through the gears if they have to. That's really encouraging. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I probably agree with you, actually. I thought whilst I was watching the game, I thought on, a, on an, another day, despite some of the really good defending and sort of the level of effort that was was higher, as sort of you and Dave mentioned, especially from those four players who'd maybe performed quite poorly midweek uh, and we were looking to see a reaction from, um, yeah, the effort level was higher. There was a, det- a determination about the side that was really encouraging. But as you say, I mean, I think on, on another day, one of those flick-ons maybe falls to, the, to a Brentford player or one of their set pieces that they uh, that they worked quite nicely on occasion maybe goes uh, and actually benefits them with a goal. So, yeah, I thought like th- this is this is what this team is at the moment, especially with the changes that were that were forced upon the team today in terms of the the, the number of players who are absent at the moment um, and. Yeah, the, the the shape of that midfield. I think I was always expecting there to be, yeah, some threat from Brentford because whilst their away form isn't great, they are they are pretty combative. You know, we we know the level of effort they put in, the level of preparation that they put in for these games to try and exploit the the weaknesses you might have. But I think what you saw today was uh, the firepower that this side has and the way in which that's going to really. You know, launch them up to the top of the table um, this season, even though that we might have reservations about you know, how defensively sound this side is, how complete it is at the moment. Um, so many different ways to hurt a side. And uh, as you mentioned, VVD, I mean, like, uh, um, I look forward to the um, uh, William Saliba dribble past trophy uh, being, returned, <laughs> being returned back to Van Dyke, I'm sure, in the coming weeks. Uh, obviously, if he's not too intimidated by the performances that Saliba's putting in as the best centre backer in the uh, in the world, uh, according to <laughs> sections of North London, of course. But him, uh, Allison, who's absolutely huge, made a vital save for us in that game, and a couple other sort of you know, vital um, bits of his performance, but. Yeah, on the whole, I thought it was really encouraging. Um, and I thought we, we created enough that, that was sort of reassured you that even if there was a setback, that we that we we had the ways in which we could sort of 
get on top of this game um, and uh, yeah, really encouraging, especially after those two results that were you know disappointing draw to to Luton, the the loss against Toulouse, and I think it was a bit of a shambles of a performance. To be honest, to, to see that level of effort and the, to bounce back and to look at the table uh, yeah, this afternoon and see where we are, yeah, very pleased with it. In your um, show, looking ahead to mm. game and rival recon. You obviously had a conversation about Brentford, and today they went with um, Flecken, the impressively uh, bicep Flecken, fair play to him, uh, and goal. Uh, me, Pinnock, and Collins with Iyer and Roslev either side of them, Norgard, Janelt, and Jensen in the middle, and Wissa and Mbwemo as their nominal attackers. And it's a shape that suits them well. It has uh, a lot of fluidity to it. They play some very good football, uh, brave football, if you like, in terms of breaking lines and um, uh, counter-pressing and uh, counter-attacking, but also have a comparative level of confidence in possession. There was a couple of times in the game where both teams were sloppy for an extended period, and it was... uh, it was a bit comical because it didn't reflect the talent and ability of either um, side. But they're a good side. They're, they were sitting in, I think, ninth before we went into this game. And they would be very, very comfortable. What do you make of them, their manager, and the way that they set up to play? Are, are you a fan? What can you uh, sort of uh, deduce from your conversation with your uh insider from your show mm. yeah we had Ali uh, Mullaly on and she's yeah she's um remember her game too and sort of lifelong Brentford fan and yeah she, she was yeah, talking a little bit about sort of where they are I guess in the at the moment in terms of this their development their progress under Thomas Frank been there for five years now uh, I think it's fair to say at the moment that they have got quite a few injuries um, and she mentioned sort of concerns in the fullback areas today given some of the players they've got out Henry's been important for them there's been a I suppose a search for creativity in that midfield since Ericsson departed, but Jensen's really stepped up um, more than I think many Brentford fans expected. Damsgaard's out injured at the moment as well. I think he was sort of brought in with a view to him replacing that that sort of creativity. And of course, they're sort of dealing with the absence of of uh, Tony um, this season. And I, I completely agree with you, Trevor. I've, I've been surprised by the way in which Mbermo has has stepped up to try and like, carry that mantle whilst uh, whilst Tony's out and Wister's also a bit of a cult hero for them as well. So, you know, fast players, tenacious players. I think they're all, they all believe in the setup. It's not necessarily at sometimes not necessarily the greatest football to watch but I think that there's a there's a determination about them there's a belief about them that like ensures that they often stick in games uh, for longer than perhaps some some other sides do down the uh, down that side of the league so yeah I think they're not full strength I think there's a couple of players missing there and I, I think um, I mean, in goal anyway, as you mentioned, sort of the bicep fleck and uh, he, he came in to replace uh, David Raya, obviously, who went off to uh, to Arsenal. And I think they're, they're pretty happy with him. He was exactly who they were looking to buy um, when Raya did sort of make all the noises that he was going to be moving on. But yeah, there's a, there's a couple of players in there that you're used to seeing by now. You know, me, uh, Pinnock, um, Norgard, and um, Jensen, I think all, all pretty solid customers. You, you know what you're going to get from them. Uh, and yeah, and Burma and Wissa, like I said, sort of tireless 
tireless performers. Um, so I think it's um, it's a good side. I think there there could be more quality injected into the into the squad, and that was the I think the perception that may, maybe they that they would like to do a little bit of business in January. Um, so maybe they could strengthen even more from here. But uh, I think we know what to expect with this side. I think now, um, and, and whilst it's not looked like the most smooth start to the season. I think they're pretty much on the same points tally that they were on this time last season. So they look like they're doing sort of the, the same job. The lad that they're missing up front is obviously a huge, ah, yeah. huge loss and uh, would be, I don't know why, my pick of... Um, you like it, don't you? <laughs> yeah, of, of, of Premier League forwards to come to our place. I, I'm a massive fan of him. Um, and it's kind of, it's not necessarily logical, uh, but I do, I do, I think he's a tremendous player, and they'll only be boosted by his return to the team. You would imagine. But I just one last question for you on, on them. Um, he's, he's building quite the reputation, Thomas Frank. Um, is he? Was he much appreciated and lauded by your contributor there on your show? Yeah. And do you agree with that opinion? Yeah, he's, he's 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 heavily lauded, I think, by by the Brentford fans. Um, you know, obviously been there, having been there for five years now. Um, I think he's quite generally quite straightforward about how he thinks his side has performed and when they haven't performed uh, can be that way. I think he's a bit can be like like most managers a, a little bit narky around the refereeing decisions. I, th- I thought today like he's he was complaining about quite a lot of things that actually weren't actually that much to much to complain about. Although Endo did definitely get away with a with a yellow <laughs> a remarkable sort of performance in terms of, sort of him managing to get away with that for the entirety of the game. So I can see why that would annoy him, but yeah, I think he's 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 only solidifying his reputation here. Like I said at the start, he's a guy who clearly is involved of involved with a lot of preparation uh, before each game in terms of sort of figuring out ways in which this side that doesn't have the same quality level of some of the opponents they play, how can they how can they equalize that? How can they sort of use set pieces cleverly as we saw when they first came up? Like, how can they just be really efficient in transition? Which I thought today they were unlucky on a couple of occasions because some really neat counterattacks from them. Uh, apparently this season he, he has been a bit more um, pragmatic than they've seen in the past few seasons. A few more changes. Maybe that's been enforced just with the injuries that they've got and the absence of that usual um, sort of totemic figure for them in, in Tony. But he's, he brought Mope back into the fold. Um, just, I think... Not necessarily for the goal threat, because I think Mopez struggled a little bit in that front. But as someone who knows the system, knows the setup, is 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 uh, admired quite a lot of Brentford as well. Obviously from his his former time at the club. So yeah, I, I got the impression of a guy who's very comfortable in his role, has the support of the fan base, and yeah, maybe not ideal circumstances so far this season. But um, yeah, they're ha- they're they're excited for how they can sort of move forward with him. Are you that person who has everything? The coolest merch and those must-have fan threads? Well, over at our Anfield Index shop, we've gone that extra mile when it comes to pimping up your Liverpool collection. From our popular range of bespoke design t-shirts, sweaters, hoodies and hats, to our signature edition mugs, prints and coasters, all provided with fast worldwide shipping. We have something for every red. We also stock official LFC merchandise, and are licensed with the Premier League and UEFA to sell official iron-on shirt badges and sleeve patches. 
As a listener to this podcast, you can get 10% off everything with coupon code AIPRO10. Just head over to AnfieldIndex.shop or find us on Etsy by searching for Anfield Index. Dave, I couldn't help but notice your tweet before the game uh, where you were commenting on the um, comparative, uh, shall we say, lack of experience on our bench today. And as a result of a lot of different circumstances, uh, we started with a team which nobody could have uh, considered to be anything close to our our finest 11, um, which again would have added to the nervousness. Uh, We went with with Ali, um, Trent and, and Virgil, but in Joel Matip and Costa Simicus, we have a pair of non-first-choice uh, uh, members of the squad, you'd imagine. Um, Dom Sabozla is the only one in, in the midfield who would be in the first starting 11, you'd imagine. It was made up uh, by Endo and Cody Gakpo. And I wouldn't mind just getting your comments on the Cody Gakpo thing in a second uh, when I finish, because... We've had this conversation a million times about Harvey Elliott as a midfielder, and 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 Jurgen's very very high on him as a midfielder. So why why didn't he start as a midfielder? Seeing as he's definitely ahead, you would imagine, in the pecking order as a midfielder than Cody Gakpo. Why not play him on the left hand side where he could actually maybe do something a little bit more interesting? I don't know. I I, I thought it was weird. I don't like these square peg round hole things but we didn't have a whole lot of choice to be fair to the manager it was a call between him and Harvey and he went with Cody uh, who I, I agree with you was um, fairly impressive in terms of his his, his body strength and carrying and, and, and link up play if he's stunningly slow when he gets a chance to, to, to get a run on anyone and we went with Salah Nunes and Jota up top that left really of the normal first team selection only Luis Diaz and Harvey Elliott on the bench that you could say you would, would normally be there obviously along with Quivian Keller because we had James McConnell that came on uh, Kwanzaa who's obviously in around the first team squad for a while Luke Chambers Callum Scanlon Ben Doak and we had Young Niani on there as well uh, like I said to you, nothing like a first uh, choice 11, uh, nothing like our usual robust looking um, opportunities to change things up looking bench. So I guess maybe it does make the whole sort of afternoons um, uh, display a little bit more impressive, all those things considered. Yeah, but then you have to consider they're also missing a ton of players. Like we're, we've got seven players out today. They're missing eight um, like they're they're missing not just Tony but Aaron Hickey and Rico Henry. So both of their first choice fullbacks are out, including their only two left back options. So they have to play a centre back who's completely unsuited to playing as a wing back as a wing back, and a very technically limited right back as a left wing back where he looked very uncomfortable as well. They're also missing Tony. They're missing Kevin Shaddy, who'd be the automatic replacement for him. They're missing Keen Lewis Potter, who'd be the other replacement for Tony. They're missing Damsgaard. They're missing Josh Josh De Silva, and they're missing Sha- missing Shandon Baptiste. So, I, I've seen a bunch of Liverpool players or Liverpool fans say, "Well, you know, we're missing half team." But so are they. Everybody's in the same boat. So we we can't really be feeling sorry for ourselves. We're in this situation where we're playing and putting a bunch of kids on the bench because of poor squad management over the last couple of years. That's the simple fact of it. We have two players on our bench. No, we have one senior player on our bench that you would want to see come on in Luis. 
I was going to say Cuevin Keller as well, but given how he's played recently, don't think you'd want him all, on all that often. And then we've got a bunch of kids. Harvey and Kwanzaa obviously have played Harvey a lot, Kwanzaa infrequently, but he is a, a regular member of the squad. And then it is children after that. James McConnell, Luke Chambers, Callum Scanlon, like two left-backs. That's the bare-bones nature of it. Two left-backs on the bench. No... No... Um, Centre forward kind of option off the bench because the only forwards there on the bench are Diaz and Doak because, like you said, Jurgen sees Harvey as a midfielder, and then Niani, who's I think sixteen. Like we're in this position where that that's the bench today because of poor squad management, nothing else. Um, but we 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 made the most of it and, and we took advantage of the fact that they had to play a shape that didn't suit the players that they had out there. I think Thomas Franks made a significant error in judgment today by playing a back five. He didn't have the players for back five. He had the players for a back four. But since they came up, only one away game against a big six club, Spurs away at the end of last season, has seen them play anything other than a back five. They always go more defensive. And the funny thing is, their away record isn't particularly good since coming up. This is year three now, and they've always been a little bit hit and miss now they've looked. They've gone to City and won, and they've caused other teams trouble. But by and large, their away record isn't isn't all that impressive. And you know, this season it hasn't been great either. You know, they they lost at Newcastle, they drew at Forest, they lost at, at United. They did go and beat Chelsea, which you know, fair play. But so did Forest and a bunch of bunch of other teams. Um, I was surprised by the Cody inclusion in midfield. Like you, I thought Harvey would start would start because it just seemed to be the thing that made sense. I wonder was there a different plan and then Joe Gomez had to pull out of the squad because there'd been some reporting in the week that Trent was gonna play in midfield, so I wonder was the original plan to be Trent, Endo and Dominic and then Gomez at right back? Possibly. Obviously we lose Ebu as well for this game and that's a Bit of an odd one. You'd wonder what ha- what's happened there because there was no, again, no reporting that he was going to miss out today. Um, look, it's it's just it's that point of the season where a lot of teams are just dealing with a lot of injuries, and because the the wizards that oversee the game are you know wizards, they've got another international break coming up, the third one already. But you've got Bournemouth, Arsenal. Brentford, Brighton, Chelsea, ourselves, Fulham, Luton, Manchester United, Newcastle, Sheffield United, Spurs, all with at least five injuries or suspensions at the moment, which is just, that's most of the league. That's an awful lot of teams dealing with an awful lot of shit this early in the season. And it it does point to the fact that there's too many games. The players have been run into the ground. There's maybe too much expectation of them during the off season to go on these extensive foreign trips to, you know, to line the pockets of the club. And it's only going to get worse when they start bringing in this expanded club world cup nonsense, because you three summers out of four, you're going to have world cup, world club cup, and then European championships or, um, Cup America or the Asian Cup or whatever. Like, it's, it, they're basically going to get one summer off out of four once this shit starts. And we're going to see more and more of this. 
And when you're a team like ourselves, where you've got a manager who prefers a smaller squad, and you've got a mix of experienced kind of late 20s, early 30s players, and then a lot of young players who haven't got that chronic load built up in them, so they're not used to handling 4,000 minutes a season, you're going to have issues. And obviously it won't just be us. There'll be a lot of other clubs that have that kind of mix where they've got peak players and then these younger players who, with the aim being this lot will start to peak as that lot end their peak, and we just continue in that cycle. It... it it, the, the decision makers do no favours to teams like us. They, it, it always favours a club like City, who can just afford to stockpile players as if, yeah. you know, they're going out of fashion. Yeah, the Chelsea City stockpile model. I mean, Chelsea have had 12 injuries at times this season and still had senior pros on long contracts earning big money that they've paid a fortune for, not even making the bench. Like, that's the difference, you know. Those clubs that have that ridiculous approach to just not really giving a shit about the well-being of the player and the yeah. long-term of the player, they can stockpile players and afford for them to stagnate, but they're there when they need them. We we don't operate that way, and I'm glad we don't. But just on, on Brentford, because um, you and Harry were talking about it, I think Thomas Frank is one of the best managers in the league. I think the buy-in he has from his players... There's very few managers that have that sort of full bore acceptance from their players. If this is what I have to do week in and week out to stay in the team, and they're a very well-run club, and I love nothing more than a well-run club. So for me, they're always going to be in my good graces because I just think they go about things the right way. They've had a couple of maybe missteps with a couple of signings that haven't worked out, and it's maybe set them back a little bit, but. Like their their top half in the Premier League. What what more can they ask for? This is this is exactly what they'd have been hoping for. Well, they're eleventh. They're eleventh because of goal difference. But that that girl that Harry had on on his podcast, like she will remember seeing them play some absolutely turgid stuff at a ground that was falling down in the lower leagues. So this is dream world for all of them that have been through all of that shit. And now they're right among the big boys. And the thing is, you know, we were all nervous about this game. They're two and a half years into the league and they're coming to Anfield. And Liverpool fans, like any other club, any other club sees Brentford, that no one's looking forward to playing Brentford. And it's not because they're like a Stoke. It's because they're a good team. They're well coached. They're well organized. So, you know, massive credit has to go to the people that run that club. Yeah, that's that's quite the tribute, actually, in and of itself. And just for the record, guide chips in here in the thread with a reference that Dan Kennett apparently mentioned that last season we played our tallest team possible against Brentford, uh, which might be a reason for the selection of Cody over uh, Harvey, um, because these are the types of things that... That's a fair shout, because they've got like five or six six-footers in that team, all three centre-backs, yeah. Ayers six, four, six, five, Roslev must be around that, Norgard is six, one. Like they're a big physical team, and yeah, I think that's actually a great shout, it probably is that probably is the reason that Cody started. 
Very possibly. Uh, Harry, the first half begins um, with a shit stream for me. Um, the first thing I saw of note was a Gakpo dig after a Dominic pass. I think there was an interaction between the two of them and a sort of a improvised hit from Gakpo. Um, then on four minutes... To be fair, there was a free in which caused a little bit of problems that you don't like to see in our defence and ended up with Pinnock sort of poking an effort wide and you think perhaps a more attacking footballer there could probably have done better with the opportunity. On six minutes, Darwin puts in a cross which um, needs saving, actually, uh, after it's deflected. Um, uh, the keeper there showing his sharpness very well, getting down at the base of the post to tip it around for a corner. Um, there was a dangerous cross by Trent on 11 minutes, which led to a corner. A lovely ball across the field by Dom to Trent on 13, um, but his pass found nobody. And on 15, there was a lovely flowing move, started by, to be fair, a great endo pass, and it ended with a Darwin shot after a 1-2 with Mo. Then it goes back the other way on 17 minutes. They have an, an attempt and Buemo shoots over after Trent absolutely gives him possession in our box. You can see it's a, an unfortunate enough sort of mistake. It's a heavy touch by Trent and it falls into Buemo's path. He should probably do better. It's a very decent opportunity, but he fires over. Um, and then, of course, Trent turns around and does a really good tracking run uh, to cover uh, uh, Vissa, who was um, uh, attacking us. So there you have the two sides of the man. And again, it's a bit harsh to call it a mistake as such, but you know people would have been on him um, if it had been a goal by Mbuemo. At this point, I've noted that they can seem to run past us quite easily. And just as I note that then, we get the ball in the net two times in quick succession within five minutes, and that's where we're going to end. Uh, first one is Darwin. Um, it goes to VAR. It's ruled out for offside. It's very tight. Um, the second one is a good ball by Simicus on 26 minutes, which leads to a corner. From that corner, Virgil heads on target. Really good save by Flecken. It falls out to Joel. He sort of helps it back in with his head, and Darwin finishes well, but he is kind of clearly offside on this second one. There is, however, I think, a sort of psychological um, advantage in terms of the the better opportunities falling to us and the ball being in the back of their net a couple of times. Mm. It seemed to just sort of twist the flow of the game in a nice way for us. That couple, that five minutes there with those two disallowed goals. What was your take on that first, say, 26, 27 minutes? Yeah, I thought it was fairly combative early on. I mean, I think the we spoke about wanting a reaction from like, specific players, but from the side as a whole. I and mean, I think against Brentford, uh, even with the, the the players that they're missing, you know you have to sort of fight uh, a little bit just to earn your right to um, to play, if you will. And um, yeah, that means going in for those 50-50s, like being alive to second balls, being disciplined defensively, trying to avoid giving them opportunities to like me and maximize things like set pieces which we know they're very clever about so early on I thought we sort of struggled to hold on to the ball in the way in which you would have liked that sort of the pace was a little bit frenetic like neither side holding on to it too well uh Endo who I think we'll come on to talk about today I mean maybe I was actually ended up being a little bit more critical than uh, than Dave was on his performance I thought that you could see physically which is again not his fault I, I suppose I, I thought he struggled at times to sort of like 
really play to the pace of the game. Um, and they have got some physical monsters in there in terms of sort of the um, the athletes they can they can call upon. I thought he struggled at times, and you could see he's a bit slow to um, to get into the challenge, uh, or if there was a need for a recovery challenge, was a little bit slow. And you, we saw that, of, of course, with his um, the VAR look at whether or not it was a red card in, in the second half for him, but. Technically, I thought he's, you know, he's clearly a good player. Like I think, I think as well as what you were talking about with getting height in the team. He's not the tallest, but we know uh, how how effective he can be in the air defensively. And I thought he showed that today as well. But early on, yeah, I think, I think you're right there. Even if it was a bit frenetic at the start, you get the ball in the back of the net twice in quick succession. You've landed a few punches to them there. I mean, they've they felt that and they can see that they got away with it. But by the finest of margins with the first one, I thought it was unlucky. Maybe could have been given onside, I suppose, in a different day. But um, yeah, Darwin involved, influential, uh, not just in terms of the, the chances he was creating for himself, but as we've spoken about the way in which he was being a part of the system, which is really what we've wanted to see from him. And I think he's shown that this season that he can be be a cog in this system and help others um, maximize their maximize their effectiveness as well. So yeah, the way in which they were cutting through us, the way in which I, th- I felt at times it was we were struggling a little bit to, to deal with the transition. Um, yeah, I sort of expect that with this team, with the deficiencies that they have and with the midfield that we lined up with today, as you say, like, like Gakpo's not necessarily the quickest, um, despite sort of his physical traits. Endo, we know he isn't, and Sobachlai is, but <laughs> we probably have to get through a lot of work to to do all of that on his own. So I sort of expected them to create a few chances, and I thought we got away with one with that, that set piece early on, or, or, or that ball into the box where there was a bit of a pinball. But as you say, you, you land those two blows of the disallowed goals, it makes them think and uh, I think um, from that moment onwards I was I was pretty confident that we were going to make the breakthrough yeah it felt a little bit like that and it, what happened then Dave is there's two successive yellow cards for mm. Norgard yeah. and Ayer uh, the first of which saw Paul I am the show Tierney stop the game um, so he could book uh, Norgard, because apparently, according to whatever Dope was commenting on it, that's the rule now. You have to stop and write it down. He's got to write it down. You see, if he doesn't write it down, then it's not a real thing. He couldn't that's possibly. It. Like, just... no, no one else would have seen that he'd given the yellow card, and who who would know? There could be anarchy. We could have players getting five and six yellow cards in a game. Exactly. Like, no one would have any way of keeping track of that because you know it's not like there's other officials there and VAR and. TV cameras and whatever else. Or he could have waited. It's not like every other referee in every other game, he could have waited a minute and let the play go on and then make his little scribble um, in his precious little notebook. But anyway, Paul Tierney is a conversation for perhaps a whole show in and of himself. He's a remarkably awful set of lads, and I, I have I, I I don't I don't even know where to start with him. So we'll we'll, we'll talk about him as he comes up later on because he does. Um, there is a pinnock clearance, which is a decent one. Uh, there is a chance for them, a really good opportunity for them, and Buemo gets in on goal in 31 minutes, and it takes. Uh, a massive interjection by Ali who stands up makes himself big and gets as he always does a strong hand to it um, it's a great save at a very crucial moment in the game we have to be honest about that because for all my talk about those two disallowed goals having landed a psychological blow um, if we go one down that blow is completely reversed 
there was a dangerous Dominic Cross pawed away by Flecken on 34 minutes and then Dave we had one of the moments of the season where uh, Joel um, makes a really good decent tackle I thought and um, it's given as a foul and then Joel has a moment that is none more Joel he has a tantrum from directly from the drama gods it's, it goes on for ages. I, I can't wait to watch several different angles on it. It continues long after we've actually gone a goal up. And while the the the, um, the crowd, God bless their cotton socks, are singing fuck off Tierney, um, it's still continuing. And then we see just in the immediate aftermath of a great ball by Darwin to Simicus in 38, and his pullback is really poor. But a minute later... Joel's still complaining. We go a goal up. Um, it is Mo Salah. It's a fantastic ball fizzed into Darwin's feet by Trent. Now, it's only a fantastic ball if you're a high-class footballer who Darwin clearly is. His touch, initial touch, is fantastic. The improvised through ball is perfect and that is the thing I've loved about Darwin more than anything else is the weight of pass I'm seeing from this kid is outrageously good Um, both of those touches glorious the pass from Trent ends up being glorious and the intent of the pass is glorious and then Mo Salah completes the glory with a great right foot touch to control uh, Darwin's through ball and then a lovely left foot finish between the keeper, a sliding defender, and going in at the base of the post across the face of goal. We'll pause there, and then you and I will finish chatting about this first half before I go back to... There's uh, a lot to already unpack here, isn't there? There's a huge amount, but there's still some bits left, but they're only bits. But here, we will pause it, because there's too much. You can't go on from here, or else no. people get lost. So, Joel... Mbwemo's opportunity, Ali's save, our cup, our 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 goal. Whatever, pick it up wherever you want. Let's start with there with the with the Mbwemo chance because you you nailed it. Like we have those two goals disallowed, and clearly that that does put a bit of a marker down. Like we can score on you if we time this, we can score on you. But as you said, like if Mbwemo scores. It completely reverses it, and it's actually then much harder because we've we're we're then in the mindset of geez, we've just had two goals disallowed, and now we're one down. Like that's a monumental, but a kind of body blow. But Ali is Ali is brilliant, and and the Trent's positioning to begin with is not great, but he does put in the effort to get back, and he does kind of harry. Mbomo a little bit and I think Mbomo would would have liked if he'd gone through 1v1 with no defender I think he probably would have tried to either change the angle to give himself more of the goal to aim at or I think he might have tried to go round Ali but because Trent harries him I think it speeds up his thought process a little bit so he tries to lift it over Ali but Ali does brilliantly and then Trent obviously gets back to to uh, cover the line if it had kind of dribbled that way. Um, so that was good from Ali and from Trent, though, again, the, the starting position is, is, is something you, you could work on. But that kind of, like, with a team like them, they they come to Anfield, they go to the Emirates, they go to the Etihad, and they're reliant on two things, counterattacks and set pieces. And they've just got their big counter-attacking moment of the half. 
and they haven't scored from it. So that, again, is a psychological blow for them. Um, our goal is just brilliantly worked. And it's fantastic for Darwin, whose head you would have excused if it had gone a little bit, having had the two goals disallowed because of, you know, all the shit that he put up with after the game against Fulham, largely not even from the media or other fans. The worst group are our own fans for hammering them, including certain people who work with Anfield Index, who completely excused the fact that Mo Salah missed two massive chances in that game just to have a shot at Darwin. Like, that's unacceptable. Yeah, Mo has more credit in the bank and all the rest, but Mo still missed two massive chances in that game. So let's let's correctly apportion the blame across the pair of them, not just make it all about one guy. And that one guy not scoring the goal is also not the reason that we were so shaky at the back in certain phases in that game. So, you know, Darwin puts up with a lot of shit, including from our own fan base, who should know better. But the composure to just take that ball in and the the little pass, like you said, the weight on it is absolutely perfect. The timing of it is perfect. And the finish is is pure mo. It's it's fantastic. So that's really good. But the highlight of the first half is Joel's tantrum. Like that is that, that is one of the great we have I want somebody now there's a lot of really good uh compilation makers out there. And I'd like to set someone the challenge of because this might be Joel's last season at the club. He's out of contract next summer, given his age and whatever else. He might well leave at the end of the year. So I'd like someone to put together a tribute, a farewell tribute to Joel Matted. But not, you know, not the goals that he's gotten, not the good dribbles, not the good defensive actions. I want a full comp- compilation of every Joel Matted tantrum from the first season to this through this season because there have been some belters but that today that was the best we've seen like oh, that's next level joel yeah. matip and i'm sure i don't know if the out of context joel matip account is still ongoing on twitter yeah they it is retweeted immediately yeah. oh beautiful yeah. beautiful i can't wait to go and watch because it is just spectacular but you know when i was watching it all i was thinking was does joel have kids and I looked it up, and he does. He's got a son that was who, who who's only two, so too young yet. But I was just thinking, like, think four or five years down the line, the kid answers back to the mother, and Joel tries to discipline him with a little bit of like, let's have some respect for your mother, you know, let's let's do what your mother asks. And then someday the kid just happens to be watching a video of his dad playing football. And there he is having this enormous temper tantrum in the middle of the pitch. And it's made all the better by the fact that he's so big, but he's so gangly as well. Like he's all arms and legs. It wouldn't be nearly as funny if Mo had these tantrums. Like Mo having them, whose body's more in proportion and he's much smaller, would be... It'd be funny, but it wouldn't be as hilarious as this. This is magnificent stuff. Like his ability to twist his arms as if he's made out of jelly or something while stamping his feet and barking at referees. It's it's a wonderful thing. I, I'd nearly give him like I, I want to see Joel Matip go into coaching because imagine Matip Cam on the touchline 
when his team <laughs> makes a defensive error or the referee gives something against him. Imagine what those tantrums would look like. It would be magnificent. I, uh, Joel Mathis, if you ever hear this, please become a manager. I will watch every game. I don't care what level it's at. And I want Matip Cam. I want 24-7 Matip Cam. I, I can only imagine what he's like in his personal life. Like, do you know, like if if he wants to have something for his dinner and the wife says well no you know your diet dictates this <laughs> have a big tantrum in the house like I, I you know he goes to get his newspaper or something and someone's got the last copy of it does he have a tantrum in the middle of the shop or whatever just I, look I, at him there just look at him there now just i've just said that put it into the, the just look at the, the initial part of it is by far the best Look at, look at this! This the hand gestures. We know Trent, what I think I like about it is is that the the, the level of anguish is always like it's oh, uh, he's he's been deeply existentially yeah. wronged. And, that's uh, it. Like it, something yes. has been stolen from him here. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've got to say, if there's if, if, if there's a compilation video of all those moments uh, by the time he does leave, I want Enya uh, to be the music that, <laughs> that accompanies it. I think it's only fair. <laughs> it is phenomenal. Like oh, it is it. phenomenal. I absolutely love him. And, and and all the lads say, you know, say, what are you giving them the yellow card for? Well, uh, I guess even Paul Tierney, I'd have to come some slack there because if someone's going to defy you in that way with such dramatics, I might be inclined to brandish one myself. But it is glorious, and uh, as you both say. Uh, clip worthy and compilation worthy and I would love to see that I'm all into Joel Matip as manager for sure uh, just to finish out the incidents in the first half on 41 minutes there was a great move by us which ends with a dangerous Trent cross that had them pretty worried at that point I've just noticed noted down how good Darwin is in all his play uh, at that point and I think Dave you'd said earlier on it was mainly the first half and I think that's fair but he was still solid in, for the full showing but really 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 on it in that first half on 44 there was a deep cross launched by that same player at the goal um, which I suppose had them a little bit worried there were six minutes added Um Curious lack of ambition from Simicus from a free kick uh, where he plays backwards led to a little bit of pressure from them in that period. And <laughs> in that period, Cody has a chance to break and it's almost Milner-esque in terms of how slow he is and how he seems to get smaller as he's running. On 46 minutes, there's a wicked Darwin hit from outside the box, which is parried. 49, a lovely ball in from Trent. Uh, Mo nearly volleys at home uh, but it's over the top it's not quite in the miss category with Darwin's um, where Mo's header went askew there against Toulouse and Darwin managed to hit it over the top but it's a pretty bad miss for a lad like Mo um, and then on 50 minutes Mo played in Darwin versus I think it was me there was a slide tackle that occurred and Harry I'm going to go to you on this because I didn't get to see it because my stupid freaking stream um, Tierney saw nothing wrong with it anyway and I'll, I'll, I'll be honest the little bit I saw that it did look like it was a clean enough slide tackle of the old school variety where the ball was got first and if that's the case I have nothing to say about it but just in terms of those last little bits and Darwin in particular Harry uh, it was it is great to see him strut his stuff and be 
uh, a real influence in the game. Uh, you'd obviously love to see him. Uh, one of those goals that have counted for him today is considering the other two boys managed to get a goal, uh, get the goals between them. Um, anything in that period you want to chat about, but do, like I say, if you don't mind, uh, wrap in some Darwin chat. I don't need a VPN. I've got nothing to hide. <laughs> this is what I used to tell myself before I hooked up with LibertyShield.com. Not only is my home internet now fully encrypted, but I can now access all the websites I want, whenever I want, and do so from absolutely anywhere. As a Liverpool fan, I love to know I can now watch every match, regardless of whether it's on UK TV or not. My Liberty Shield VPN makes sure nothing is blocked and guarantees me super fast streaming speed throughout that match. You can get connected right now with their software package, which includes a 48-hour no-obligation free trial and instant access to their apps for Apple, Android, Fire TV, PC, Mac and Android TV. Or go a step further like I have and get one of their pre-configured VPN routers. These small but powerful devices allow you to easily connect every device in your home to VPN, making it the perfect solution for smart TVs, mag boxes and games consoles. Visit libertyshield.com today and use coupon code AIVPN25 to get 25% off at checkout. Yeah, plenty. Always time for Darwin chat. I think it's it's been really encouraging this season to see, yeah, to see to see the way in which I think as his English has improved, as he's been here longer, he's uh, feeling more comfortable on the side. You can see sort of he sort of understands his his role within the side and how he can. It's not all about him having to be the man all the time. He can sort of bring others into play, and that he's that he's able to do that. I think, um, as you said, obviously, despite the uh, pretty emphatic, oh, he'll never be world class. Did you see that first touch commentary against um, against Bournemouth before he blammed it into the into the top corner? Um, <laughs> yeah. He's he's been good. He's been good, and uh, I think uh, people have talked about it. Maybe he's always going to have this aspect to his game where you know the the sublime is uh, followed up by the rash uh, within a few minutes of one another, but. Today, I was really impressed with the way in which he put himself about. Uh, in the past, he's maybe been really influential in moments in the game, whereas today I felt that he he was he was quite influential throughout, to be honest. And I'm seeing Klopp after the game give him a lot of praise for uh, for his defensive work. I think there's some quotes there around sort of the work rate being um, incredible, um, and he's like really impressed with uh, uh, his 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 pressing as well, which we know was something that was. Yeah, like took time to get up to scratch, and I think we have to be realistic as well. I mean, this is a guy who's come in, uh, plays in a sort of specific way, <laughs> maybe a bit more chaotic than we're than we're used to. Was learning the language. It was going to take him time for him to get up to speed with what he was being asked to do for the team. And um, yeah, I'm very happy to have him as a young player in the side who's going to continue to develop and grow. You can see he's got a good attitude. Uh, what's great about him? Similar to sort of Ali, whenever Ali makes a maybe an error, which is quite a rare thing, you see he's got good mentality. Doesn't seem to get to him too much. Darwin as well, even when he's made those maybe high-profile misses on occasion, clearly does sort of roll off his back quite quickly now, and he's uh, he's in the position to have another one of those chances a few minutes later or score from a harder one. So, yeah, I was really impressed by him this season. I'm really pleased to see the way in which he's he's growing into the side. And I think as Dave mentioned right at the start, 
you know, doesn't need to be the main goal scorer if he doesn't, you know, with the likes of Mo Salah still around and still having exactly the same level of desire that we've seen from him over the years. So, yeah, really happy about that. And um, just on the endo challenge, because you, you, you want me to touch on that a little bit. I mean, I, I didn't think it was uh, ever sort of a, ever a red card in terms of I mean, even when, even with the, the best efforts of slow mo. Uh, to try and make it look worse than uh, it is a it's a full speed, yeah. So uh, both players clattering into each other is a bit late from Endo. Uh, again, maybe if he's 26, 27 version of Endo, he gets there earlier. Um, he's lunging a little bit, but not in a way that I thought was reckless or like uh, had a chance of really endangering endangering the player. So I think it was the right decision, despite you could see some of the the protests from Thomas Frank. And Dave, we'll just get your take on that as well, because that is in the second half, obviously. Yeah, it jumps up. There's, uh, I think it's Onyeka comes on for Janelt. Again, my stream crapped out, but I think that was their their yeah. change at halftime. 46 minutes, there was a good through ball by Jota towards Cody, but he was kind of crowded out by two or three defenders. 50 minutes, we saw Ali tipping a Jensen free over the top for a corner. And then a Simicus run and dig narrowly over from about 20 yards. Actually, it's a good run by the kid and um, a very powerfully hit shot, but does go over the top nonetheless. On 52, then, Cody has a shot from distance as well. It's also well over. And I'm just going to pause here, Dave, and we'll, we'll, we'll continue on with this second half in a second. But Harry mentioned that end of slide tackle, and it was kind of a crucial moment in the, in, in the match in its own way. Um Tierney's looking right at it. So here's my take on this. It seemed to take ages. I'd say if it's if it wasn't four minutes, I'd be surprised. But it seemed to take three to four minutes in total. Uh, it felt it certainly felt like that again. In the end, no action was taken, despite us being shown it eleven uh, million times. I think Harry's got it right. Maybe a younger version of the guy gets there a fraction of a second quicker and actually makes that clear contact with the ball. But there's no studs up intent. He he does have his foot pointed down. However, as you said earlier on in your assessment of it, you wouldn't have been surprised with Paul Tierney to see a red card come out. It is kind of a crucial moment. What was your definitive take on that before we push on a bit more into the second half? I thought it was probably a yellow card. I thought it was probably a yellow card because I do think he's like half second too late to the ball. But there's no intent to injure. It's just an unfortunate coming together. But Trev, that's the type of tackle me and you grew up watching and and suffering and throwing in on lads. Like, the game has gotten incredibly soft. I'm, I'm looking at Twitter and there's eons of United fans cribbing and crying about it and saying that'll be a 10-game ban for Casemiro because, I don't know, maybe they want to feel themselves, make themselves feel a bit better that they spent £60 million on a fellow who can't run anymore. Um, I think if it's a less experienced referee than Tierney, a less prominent referee than Tierney, it wouldn't have surprised me if he was sent to the screen. But I think because it's Tierney, He's got a really good view of it. And you can see as the check is going on, he is talking to the VAR the whole time. I think Tierney has actually done done really well in that instance because it probably was a yellow. Like, it probably was a yellow, but it definitely wasn't a red in my view. I don't see how you could get to red card there. It's the unfortunate Let, let, me, card, let me interject something here. Let me just interject something here because I yeah. want to get your take on it. Um, um, we've been plagued by this 
constant refrain of clear and obvious, right? Yeah. You know it's one of those things that needs to be completely eradicated because it's bollocks and it leads to the protection of the boys by their boys. It's one of the biggest issues with the whole VAR scenario. But I don't understand why it took so long if Tierney's boys can see that it's not a clear and obvious error or if they can see that it's not the type of clear and obvious error that they want to call Paul out on publicly because then Paul might look bad. What the fuck is happening here, Dave? It's weird, isn't it? Why did it take so long? Part of it is because there's very clearly contact between Endo's boot and Norgard's knee. But the reason that that was always going to happen is the angle that the two of them are meeting at. Endo's going vertically and he's coming horizontally across. That means his entire body is coming across the path of Endo's challenge in one way or another. He is going to slide across that path. There is no way, no matter what Endo does, once Norgard commits to that challenge, there's no way Endo can avoid making contact with him. Even if he wins the ball perfectly cleanly, which he doesn't quite, but he gets enough of it to, you know, to warrant making the the decision what it was, he is always going to go into Norgard. The force of his tackle with Norgard's angle of tackle, they are always going to make contact. And I think they were trying to figure out, like, was Endo A, out of control? Was he B overly forceful into the challenge and see how much of the ball did he get and I think the answer is he got enough of the ball he wasn't overly forceful and I don't think you can argue he was out of control either I think he was in perfect control of his own movement it's just the angle of Norgard coming across that makes it a little bit unfortunate and the thing for Norgard as well is when the contact happens he continues to slide a little bit so you could see when they were trying to patch his, like wipe up his legs and whatever, there was marks where he'd been clattered. But it was because, you know, you put your arm on something sharp and then run your arm across it. You're going to get, you know, a cut that's not just a little prick. It's going to be a slice. That's basically what's happened here. I think, I think the referee has done well here. I, I do. I think it's a fair 50-50 ball. Two very committed players. Norgard, to his credit, didn't make a big song and dance about it. Like, I know he got treatment and had to go off. That's fair enough. He came on. He wasn't cribbing and crying out of me. He didn't go and look for revenge because he knows what it's like to go into those challenges because he does that for them as well. He's the enforcer in that team. And he's a, he's a very good player, is, is Christian Norgard. If he was a few years younger, if he was like 23, 24... I think some of the top clubs will be having a look at him because he's good on the ball, he's very good defensively, and he's really consistent. You rarely see him have a bad game. So I think you know his reaction as well is factored into it. Is, is he immediately turning around and screaming at the ref or whatever? Um, all things considered, like I, I agree with you. I think Paul Tierney is, as a collective of lads, he's firmly in the dreadful category. But <laughs> you know, it's largely because like there's two things. Number one. He is amongst that crew with the fellow we had in midweek who's of the opinion that the reason Joe Soap has paid his money and brought his family to the game is to see Paul Tierney perform. Like, well, you see this referee, lads. You'll never see a referee like this. You, this is this is the peak of your football watching 
career is seeing this fella performing at the highest level in both domestic and international competition. But the second thing as well is he thinks he's a little bit of a lad and you can see him laughing and joking with the players and he's all their mate and he's having like the crack. Like, no, <laughs> no, no, no. Like, that's not what you're there for. That's not what you're there for at all. I, you know, he's, he's far too happy with himself. I want a referee that's just miserable. Give me Kalina every day. Rage level just about simmering. Prepared to boil over at any moment. I want the players to be fucking terrified of the referee. Not throwing their arms around him and having a chat. None of that. I, I, I agree completely. That The referee should be the scariest teacher that you ever yeah. had in your life. That's exactly what should be the sort of level of intimidation you don't want this to say. This is why I think Ange Postacoglu was absolutely spot on. We grew up in an era where you were afraid of the referee. Mm. In both football, and I played rugby for 20 years, and in rugby referees are a lot more like the old football referees used to be, even today. The rugby referees have always been that. Like, And it, when a rugby referee gives you a scolding, like you really do want to go and stand in a corner somewhere or go and ask your mum for a hug because when they give you a proper goal... <laughs> And yeah. I used to get a lot of them. Like I, I, I <laughs> you do surprise me. <laughs> didn't always, didn't always stick within the the rules of the game, and uh, would often get get taken to one side by a referee and warned about my future conduct. Were um, you a gouger, Dave? Have you done any gouging in your time? No, never, never did a gouge at all in my in my entire time playing. I, I did plenty of dancing on fellas, and uh, <laughs> I once had a referee call me out of a changing room after a game and say that he'd been called into the opposition changing room after the game to be shown the backs of three or four lads who looked like they'd been run over by a herd of cattle. Um, such were the bruises and, and cuts that they had, had. And I just, I, I don't know what you're talking about. Me, look at me, definitely not. It wouldn't be, I saw you do it. I saw you. No, no, it wasn't me at all. You've made a mistake here. You've made a mistake. It was somebody else. <laughs> that to them. Um, and, and then, yeah, he, you get cited and you get written up. And, and that's the thing. Like in, in rugby, there's far more strict punishment. Like you can get cited after the game for something that doesn't get punished during the game. And you could end up missing six weeks, eight weeks, <clears throat> 22 weeks and stuff like that. <laughs> you know, like, and that's fine. Um, but yeah. I, I I do think like the old school view that we had of referees where you were like you were uber respectful of them like and you you like you know even playing for like OMP and that like as a kid like the referee come in to the to the, the dressing room beforehand to check studs or whatever but he'd make his view on things really clear like there'd be no fucking about here lads I don't take back talk you don't swear at me my decision is final and because he told you beforehand my decision is final you knew like you might have a moan during the game but you weren't gonna like not the way we see players now like with the constant cry arson and cribbing and all the rest like I, I just feel like Tierney <sighs> Tierney sees himself as the modern referee, you know? He's like, do you remember when metrosexuals became a big thing? I was just getting you. Paul Tierney go. is the metrosexual <laughs> referee. He is, he is that trendsetter of referees. Yeah, yeah, he is. He is definitely, a renaissance man. 
he is. I, I've said it before in the show. There's a, there's a massive beta male thing coming off Paul Tierney, and I don't. I, I I make no apologies for saying it. Harry, we have a couple of moments that I want to talk to uh, you about coming up. One of which probably deserves a little bit of pause, even though it won't be mentioned probably in any of the uh, uh, post-match chats or reports. Because after that um, endo slide tackle, the next thing of note happens maybe four or five minutes later. And it's this colossus that we have in Van Dijk. He's 1v1 with Mbwemo on 59 minutes. And he does that thing that we have become so accustomed to seeing. And actually, some Liverpool fans started to take for granted where he comes across the defender, eases him out of the way with his sheer physical strength and pace, but also the timing of the challenge. And it puts the ball out for a corner. And I just, that was the moment for me that I went, fuck me, this lad's back. And he's back with a bang. On 61, Joel Matip has his moment, a great block from a Norgard effort. And then the ball is in the back of the net. Within that same moment, it is Mo Salah. Simicus is goes sliding towards the dead ball line. And as it's crossing the dead ball line, his sliding effort is perfect. It clips the ball up and he sends over this delightful little uh, lofted cross most stand at the back post he can hardly believe all he has to do is just make contact with the center of his forehead and put it into an open space in the net and it did feel like a, for a second like the game had stopped um and 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 mo was doing what he did now it took ages for them to go and check it so here we have the second thing i want to talk to you about and just get your take on it um I'm just going to go ahead and assume that the only place that they actually have this technology is actually between the two posts. A, that's fucking stupid. B, how difficult and expensive would it be for the richest league in the world to have these sensors running along the dead ball line and the touch line? I refuse to believe that this is something that's pro- financially prohibitive. So why aren't they there? Because then there's no need for this bollocks that happened for the second time in the match to us. We had to wait for ages for a decision to come. Now, it was eventually given. We do go 2-0 up. But the two things I want you to talk about there are the nonsense around that. Surely, would you agree with me that that's something that could be easily implemented? And then also do spare a word or two for our number four, what a man. Yeah, and I think he's he's he's, he's back to his uh, well, very close to his imperious best. That, that that little bit of defending you were talking about there, uh, where he sort of goes up the gears, um, and it, it never looks like he's really having he's really really having to bust a gut. But he yeah, he just just goes up through the gears, makes the correct challenge, um, and then usually there's a little bit of like puffing out of the cheeks because he's he's had to do a little bit of defending um and uh but he, he does it so well so, so neat and tidy and yeah d- gives you so much assurance as well sort of you you cut out a little bit what, what were you saying around the uh the implementation of those decisions and so so basically i was talking about the the, the whole concept of um the technology which we which we have available right so clearly mm. we know that we have this technology to our horror we know league title 
horror. We know that that, uh, that technology exists yeah. between the two posts. My point to you is how embarrassingly simple would it be to extend that to the full length of the dead ball line and the touch line? It does not make any sense to me that we don't have this. It cannot be, Harry, financially prohibitive. Why, why is it not there? Because it would end an awful lot of bullshit. We saw the the recent one, which caused massive controversy with the wasn't in the Newcastle game. So mm. you, you know, it seems silly, doesn't it? Yeah, it seems like a fairly straight uh, straightforward thing, especially when you see some of the technology that's been rolled out across other tournaments, uh, across other leagues. I mean, I can only assume it falls into the same category of just this weird um, opposition to the introduction of technology like for example we know the automated offsides that were refused by the Premier League this season um, would okay, I mean, I'm mean, i sure it might not be perfect but surely it would would cure a lot of debate a lot of frustration uh, and, and yeah, as you say when it, when it comes to a ball being one side of a line or another yeah they've got that for the goal and <laughs> the only difference with the goal is the net that's been put on that piece of the ground so surely there is a there is an easy way to do that certainly with the corner flag you'd imagine all the goal posts that surely there's an easy way to to get rid of that that level of controversy but yeah i can only assume it's that sort of just opposition to to technology did you i mean when you when you when you when you think about that it, it, am I right in saying I do? I, I I I'm aware I may have certain luddite tendencies when it comes to football. Not not even no, sorry, not luddite tendencies. I may have certain old-fashioned tendencies. But if we're going to go full bore with the technology, it does seem really kind of almost deliberately obtuse <laughs> to not to not employ it properly. I, I wonder, and just humor me on this, Harry. Do you see, is there some sort of a bigger concept going on here? Because, like, it's, it's, I know, I could set this up myself, and I'm not exactly Mr. Tech. I could set up a couple of sensors Mm. um, on each of the four corners of the park, and then we would have, you saw, didn't you, right? You saw the farcical situation of Gary Neville showing the sky cameras how well if you look at it from this way the ball actually looks like it's in and if you look at it from this way well the ball looks like it's out isn't that a remarkable feat of physics and camera work and reality and you're like what sort of absolute drivel is this what what are you doing this is not content yeah. i mean I, i'm sorry but like it's it's not like he's analyzing the 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 the, the assassination of of JFK. What is he doing? Why, yeah. why can't we just put in this simple technology? We've had Hawkeye technology in the GAA, which is our hmm. national sport, for fucking years, Harry. It's been yeah, in tennis, not, like how long has it been in tennis as well? Like, tennis yeah. for ages. But surely, surely the easier beat. way to do it, if it's going to be too expensive to put the sensors on the pitch, is put a sensor in the ball. It's not going to be too. I mean, I, I'm, I'm not going to hear any excuses about the level of expense. No, no, the <laughs> Premier League is no excuse. But I, I'm talking about if it's going to be implemented in the Premier League, then we're going to want it implemented all over. And some leagues aren't going to be able to afford it. But if you put it in the bowl and then simplify the technology around the pitch, that's got to make it easier. Yeah. It has to make it easier. Um, if also, anyone's bored later on, just just go into Twitter, go to your search bar, 
And because I only did this having seen a tweet, tweet from one Trev Downey that Paul Tierney drinks coffee through a uh, paper straw. Um, <laughs> just just look up what's been said about it. It's amazing how disliked he is. Every Liverpool fan has had something to say about him. And then all rival fans are giving out about him saying he favours Liverpool as well. But uh, there are some absolute belters in here. Uh, Paul Tierney could referee a game of Connect Four and still get it wrong. Uh, which is always a good one Uh, just saw Paul Tierney on my screen I gagged three times I regret to inform you all that Paul Tierney is at it again how does Paul Tierney get out of Anfield without a slap is a good one Uh, looking at Paul Tierney always triggers me but the best one unfortunately Trev you were beaten by uh, young Dominic Trout uh, Paul Tierney is a demonstrable dog botherer, which I thought was um, <laughs> in typical Dominic fashion was a good one. I take issue with that. I take issue with that because you fail to you seem to fail to have noticed my Paul Tierney's kink is wearing man nappies uh, tweet. <laughs> I haven't seen that. <laughs> <laughs> which um, I believe, which I believe to be the pinnacle. I, uh, we, you, we, have, we, you have topped him, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Dom. We need to continue. Uh, there's a couple of moments left that we need to chat about. And Dave, I'm going to bring you in on this one because I want you to chat about Endo, if you would, just to cue him up here a little bit. After the goal goes in, and it is great, uh, it's, a, it's a nice l- l- little uh, moment because it, it settles the nerves tremendously. 2-0, we're not going to cough it up. Uh, but on 65, Norgard helps on an Embuemo corner, and Vissa can't get, quite get to it at the back post. And it's a moment of threat for sure. And I was thinking in the wake of our Virgil chat, don't cough up the clean sheet. Uh, every time I think of us, I think of Joe and Virgil and that little gift that you can see I love clean sheets oh I love clean sheets and those two guys I just it's 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 a real moment in time and I wanted it especially for Ali's heroics as well 67 minutes there was an absolutely glorious raking ball a diagonal pass by Virgil to Mo Salah Mo helps the ball on first time and it's just sort of a little bit too elevated too high for Darwin there was the makings of a goal of the season moment there, but started by this absolutely beautiful delivery by Virgil, who the confidence to do that would suggest to you that he knows he's back at his best as well. Then there's a really good foul, a credit worth due by Endo on Vissa as they were breaking in 69 minutes. He knew he could do it. He took it for the team. And that's what I want to see from my defensive midfielder. We saw Fabinho do it if he had managed to exist until 70 minutes without a yellow card. And the yellow card was what was required. He would do it. Now, he didn't actually get one end on this case, but it was a really good cynical foul in 69 minutes. These are the kind of moments in the game that I know you love. I know Harry loves. I love. Uh, And on 70 minutes, 72 minutes, then they bring in uh, Mopey, Yarmuluk, uh, Goris for Visa Jensen and Roslev. Um and it's soon after that that we go 3-0 up but I'm going to take that third goal and the end of the game with Harry because there's quite a bit for you to chat about there in terms of Endo and Virgil I know you want to have a few words in him before the end of the game yeah so just on Endo like <clears throat> 
When I say I thought he was very good today, I'm talking about relative to his own performances. I'm not talking about in general spec. Um, he is a little bit too slow. He's not got that snap to a challenge. His physical data from last season was significantly lower than his physical data from the year before, which was a concern and does kind of wrap into why you'd have to question why we bought him. But what I what I liked today was just the fact that he was competing and he was making himself useful. He was making himself an annoyance to them. And even if he wasn't able to win the ball off them, I thought he was able to force them back often enough that they had to reset and weren't able to maybe play a ball into a wide area where someone had space or into the channel where someone was moving in behind our defence. He was better on the ball than off the ball, without question. Um, And that's often the case with him thus far. He was, like I said, I thought he could have been easily booked for the Norgard challenge. I thought it would have been warranted. And if that has, if that does happen, he probably gets hauled off at that point. But he doesn't, and that allows him to be a little bit more brave in terms of the fouls he commits. And I agree with you, that, that cynical foul, that's, that's the type of thing that Fernandinho made a career out of, um, was exceptional at. McAlealy made a career out of doing that type of stuff as well. So if he's if he's able to do some of that and get away with it, and you know it, that that is a, a big help for us, um, and I do think today was his best game for us. Like again, the numbers probably won't be all that impressive defensively, but defensive numbers are largely a nonsense, and you have to kind of look at what actually takes place in the state of game. And for me, we were able to stay a bit more compact through the middle at times. Like yeah, they they were able to run through us a few times. That's more down to the fact that we're playing this weird shape that we don't really have the players for. And we're playing someone in midfield who simply isn't a midfielder in Cody Gakpo. And defensively, he's not the most switched on of players. But I thought Endo was was good today by, again, by his own standards. And is it good enough for us? No, long term, it's not going to be. But it got us through today. And if he can get us through a couple more games like that up until January, and then hopefully there's the common sense among the decision makers to actually go and buy somebody to play that role at a high level, then job done. And if you know if he sticks around as a squad player for another 18 months after January, maybe falls into that kind of Milner role where you bring him on for 10 minutes at the end of games, and you just say to him, look, just go out there and empty the tank. Go out and give absolutely everything you have for 10 minutes. Then maybe he's not going to be quite as slow because he's not going to be trying to conserve energy for a 90-minute game. If he knows he only needs to play 10 to 15 minutes, he can actually go out and give everything he has. Um, On Virgil, like, last season showed me everything that's wrong with our fan base, where... And it's not, let's be clear, it's it's not the match-going fans, it's not the sensible fans, it's not those that actually know what they're watching. It's those that are knee-jerk, reaction-based twats who say a lot of things for attention. The Van Dyke is washed, we need to have a conversation about Virgil and all the rest of that twaddle that went on because, yeah, he had a poor season by his standards last year. The key words there are by his standards. 
Because if you look across the Premier League last season, and I watched a lot of football in the Premier League, there were maybe two defenders that you could say were definitively better than him across the year. Maybe three. Maybe three. But I was seeing people big up Martinez and Saliba. They weren't playing any better than Virgil. They were making the same number of mistakes as Virgil. The difference was their teams were performing better around them than ours was around Virgil. But in in 18-19, he put together the best season that, in my opinion, any centre-back has ever put together in the history of the game. That's not hyperbole. That is my actual opinion. I don't think a centre-back has ever had a season as good as what he was in 1819. And it still pisses me off that the Football Writers Association, who are a dreadful gang of lads, gave their award to Raheem Sterling over Virgil. Because never in the history of the league has there been a more clean, a more clear winner. Never. It, Not is, 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 the, is the absolute pinnacle of that for you, the moment against the Spurs attacker where he goes, I'm going to fucking split yeah. myself here in terms of... 2 will have to pitch to defend... And he and he he doesn't even blink. There's oh, not a hesitation. There's not a bead of sweat in his forehead. He oh. controls that situation from the minute they cross into our half. He is the only person in complete control of everything. That is phenomenal. And it wasn't just once he did that. He did that in a couple of other games. So it wasn't quite as as stark as that with so much the pitch, but. Like, he, he's just, he was on another level that year. Now, the following year, 1920, we obviously win the league at a canter. And he was brilliant again. He wasn't quite as good as he had been the year before, but he was still brilliant. 2021, his knee gets destroyed by a man with very small arms. And then in 21-22, he comes back off an ACL tear, plays 50-odd games, and is, without a shadow of a doubt, the best defender in the world again. Off an ACL tear, that is completely unheard of to come back and play at that level, that many games across the full season. He was just disgustingly good. Last season, he had a bad year. So why did he have a bad year? Well, let's look at our team last year. Our midfield completely disappeared last year. Fabinho fell off a cliff. The huge flaws in Henderson's game got further exposed. Thiago was injured and not always available. Naby was injured, not always available. There was no protection from that midfield. Andy Robertson had a poor year last year. Ibu missed over half the season, and Trent had a stinker of a year last year. So was Virgil terrible, or was it all of that around him wasn't very good and didn't create a good environment for him to play in? I think it's probably the latter. There was also the nonsense with the World Cup. He spoke about it himself. He was very open and said, I'm not performing well enough. I'm tired. I've been overplayed, etc., etc. This season, I think he's a hair better than he was in 21-22. Maybe slightly below what he was in 1920. But he's, he's got the capability, capability to get to that level. And here's the thing. You look at our team this season. Robbo not playing well and now injured. Costas has not been good at left-back. So he hasn't had a reliable full-back on his side. Ibu's been in and out of the team. Matip's been in and out of the team. Gomez's been in and out of the team. So he hasn't had a reliable, regular, settled partner. And Trent's had a poor season. And we don't have a defensive midfielder. So even with 
far less than ideal circumstances, he is still putting in this level of performance. If you put 2018-2020 Fabinho in front of him, and you put 21-22 Ibu next to him, or 18-19 Matip, or 19-20 Gomez next to him for a run of 15-20 to games, and he just knew that was who he was next to, and he wasn't having to adapt to a different type of partner. And the other factor here is how much he's being asked to do. We play very exposed. Our left back is also a left centre-back and a left winger. Our right back is a midfielder. Our right side centre-back has to also play right back. And Virgil has to play both centre-backs and sometimes left back as well. Like he's been asked to do a huge amount of stuff and he's doing it all and making it all look very, very comfortable, very, very easy. When you factor in what's going on around him, which at times can be quite chaotic, and he's performing at this level, we are witnessing an all-timer. This is the greatest centre-back to ever grace the Premier League. The best that we've ever had. Doff of the cap to Alan Hansen. Unfortunately, you have been usurped. And he is, like, people will, will go on about longevity and all that kind of shit. He was the best centre-back in the league when he played for Southampton in the 16-17 season. Then he got injured and he missed a chunk of time. And he had a bit of a, a rough start because he knew he was leaving. He knew he was coming to us. And maybe he wasn't fully committed to being there. And he had a bit of a rough first half of that 17-18 season. But then he was, from the day he joined us up until Pickford fucked his knee, he was the best in the world. He came back, he was the best in the world. He's had one bad season in seven, eight, eight seasons. He's had one bad season. And like that's not even taking into account how good he was at Celtic, how good he was in the Netherlands. Does, this is not about... There's no longevity argument against Virgil because if there's a longevity argument against him, why is there not one against Yap Stam, who was the same age when he joined United as Virgil was when he joined us? And yet United fans will go on about Yap Stam being the best defender I've ever seen. We you'd, are. You'd also love. You'd phenomenal. also love the. You'd also love to think that there's um, ample longevity left. Yes, a hundred percent. Like Thiago Silva's thirty-nine years of age or whatever he is, and still playing in the league week in week out. And he, at his very best, was never as good as Virgil. Never. Hello. I'm here to annoy you. I'm here to annoy you into listening to more of me and more of others on EPL Index. We don't just have the Anfield Index stuff. We've got EPL Index as well, which covers the entirety of the Premier League. And we have three podcasts and a whole bunch of really good writing on EPLindex.com. The podcasts are my own two-footed podcast, which is every day at 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, covering the whole league. We have a Tad Predictable hosted by Tadiwa. You know Tadiwa. He does Anfield Index. He presents a Tad Predictable before every Premier League match week. And then Kevin DeVries and his crew on the EPL Roundtable there every week after the Premier League match week. So make sure you listen to everything we're doing on EPL Index and follow us there on Twitter at EPL Index. Thank you. Bye-bye. Yeah. Yeah. Harry, let's take the next chunk of the game, you and I, because I know you got to get going. And mm-hmm. um, we've gone long, which is not like us. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll start off with the Jota goal. 
because he's having a little bit of a purple patch at the moment and it's lovely to see a great bit of pressure led to the goal including a blocked attempt from Jota himself Um, and eventually he takes control of the ball in the corner of the box the left corner of the box sort of drives in a parallel way across the line of the box towards the middle and ends up in the D, just on, uh, in in just outside the box in the D, and blasts home a great effort. It's a beautiful goal, and I think the kind of garnish, I think that we deserved on top on top of this uh, performance. Again, there are two massive Virgil moments between now and the end of the match. On seventy six, a massive intervention versus Mope, and right at death to keep the clean sheet. He's absolutely awesome against Ayer on 91 minutes. The lad was imperious. It was tremendous to watch. Um, And similarly, a fellow we've mentioned earlier on, right at the death, I think about 89 or 90 minutes, Endo had a back post header, which was a really important intervention. Yeah. The keeping of the clean sheet, Harry, to me, felt very, very important. I mean, we had a couple of, there were a couple of things. Ali actually makes a decent save from Pinnock on 77. They had a little bit of a period of a couple of corners. We bring on Harvey and Luis Diaz for Gakbo and Jota. There's a Harvey speculative effort. There's a, a, a couple of chances. Kwanzaa comes on for Trent. But really and truly, and McCon- McConnell comes on at the end for a little bit of a run out. But really and truly, it's the story of our season pros putting in performances that we uh, have come to expect in terms of all the names we mentioned, including Trent, to be fair. And the likes of Endo betting in a little bit more and making you feel a little less angsty about his involvement. These are all good things. Yeah, on the Jota goal, I think he's just been uh, it's really enjoyable to see him in this in in this sort of form. Uh, I think at times we've sort of talked about how he maybe he's not like uh, he's he's not in the game for the entirety of it. His all round play is not maybe not as as great as you'd like it to be um, in terms of his footballing ability, whatever, perhaps. But his his ability to to pop up with a goal. Uh, goals that often relieve a lot of pressure in the situations when he when he tends to score them. I know this was the third in a three 0 win, but yeah, it, it it did help sort of relieve even sort of further pressure there. And yeah, he's clearly in great form at the moment. Clearly seems to be enjoying his role in the squad and how often he's he's being called upon. Um, and I, I think also has the respect of the of the squad as well as you'd imagine, given the shift that he that he puts in Salah. I know it was a little bit earlier on, but I think he is. Never enough um, words to describe Salah. We probably used all of them up by this stage in terms of his consistency, the the level of desire, and I really hope that he, you know, does want to does want to break even more records with this with this team and uh, isn't set to depart or whatever. Um, given some of the speculation that obviously existed before the season, so it's just, it's just a phenomenon. It's a, it's a pleasure to to watch him play, and I think it's a pleasure for all of them to play with him as well as it is for you know, the likes of, of Virgil, Allison, some of the other members of the spine that we've gotten used to over the years. And I, I think one thing we've talked about in the past that you don't always see with these Liverpool sides, these different incarnations of Liverpool sides is, but to see them sort of enjoying 
the, the sort of art of defending, enjoying the fact that no, we're going to keep this clean sheet. You know, the, 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 there's, a, there's a pride in it that we know Allison has certainly. Uh, we know that Van Dijk has, has it certainly at his at his best. Um, so I was really pleased to see the way in which, uh, despite the coughing up of a few chances towards the end of the game, there was that sort of determination to get over the line with that clean sheet. Uh, it's important to them. And Endo, I think, is um, one of those figures as well. You can see he loves, he loves that defending. Yes, he's maybe getting on in his career now, but it's important to him. He likes getting stuck in. The gum shield's there. You know, we, we know what he's going to do. <laughs> his, his level of commitment's pretty clear, right? So, yeah, seeing him pop up with the, with that header late on, I think there were a number of important headers as well. And, yeah, on the ball, I think Dave's right to mention, I think he's he, he's better on the ball than I thought he was going to be in terms of making the making the right choice um, at the right moment and being progressive when he gets a chance to be. So, yeah, I hope he has more opportunities in the side, and I think he's... He, he, he'll settle into it and I think as, as Dave said if he's in the position where he can just really give his utmost in 20-30 minute patches I think he can be really uh, really very effective for us let's finish with you tell us what um, folks can expect from you because I know what you want to get off so no, no worries. Yeah, it's just the, the typical Diwali, uh, Diwali pressures. But in, 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 <laughs> in, in, in terms of what folks can expect from me, yeah, there is a that small matter of the game against Manchester City that's coming up. So there'll be a rival recon ahead of that pod, ahead of that game rather. Uh, I think Klopp's obviously come out after the game and uh, rightly criticised the the time that that's on, sort of the disrespect that I think it shows to the fans, the players who will be travelling back from all corners of the world, lots of South Americans in that group as well. Um, but, yeah, it should be a really exciting game. I think we can see what's going on with City and Chelsea as we speak. But, you know, we're going to be there or thereabouts. And, yeah, these games are hugely important fixtures. Uh, and we want to compete for everything. Uh, you need to sort of be taking something from these games. So, yeah, there'll be a, there'll be a pod ahead of that, which is... I'm, I'm I'm sure likely to be another like thoroughly sort of intense clash. You know what he's just said there, Trev. He said I'm taking a week and a half off, and the rest of you schmucks can podcast away without me. I'm That's happy what he's to be there. happy to be invited onto onto shows. Yeah, it's, oh. it's, it doesn't seem to happen, Dave. People, oh, are, we'll, uh, we'll we'll get you onto something, Mister Seth. Classic, <laughs> classic, <laughs> classic Sethy, in my opinion, classic Sethy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Harry, thanks very much, and um, run on and deal with your Diwali madness. <laughs> oh, and, and 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 happy Diwali to all those celebrating who are listening to us today um should have said that right at the at the outset so that's harry and great to have him with us as always it is and dave let's finish uh, you and i with your final thoughts and plugs uh final thoughts the clean sheet is is vital and you and harry touched on it there with how much effort was being put into preserving that clean sheet that brilliant clearance by virgil the endo header which seemed, you know, just like a run-of-the-mill header, but Virgil went and gave him a good pat on the back, and Ali came out and gave him a good pat on the back, and there was a good encouragement there. Costas did really well in a 1v1 down the line a few minutes before that as well. And, he did, he did a and couple Virgil of times back-to-back. And, back. and Endo all went to him and, like, G'd him up, and, like, that sort of mindset and that sort of camaraderie between these lads, like, knowing that... The first step to winning any game is when it is keeping a clean sheet. You keep a clean sheet, you only need to score one and it's game over. And if we can get into a habit of keeping clean sheets, that's really good. And look, we know there's defensive issues with this this group. We know that we play a style 
a style of football that isn't the safest style. But we have the joint best defence in the league this season. Like Manchester City have conceded 10 goals. Uh, their game is still ongoing. They've conceded two today. Arsenal have conceded 10 goals um, with with the greatest centre-back of all time, William Saliba, in there. Um you know, like, and that's it. Like, everybody else, Newcastle of 13, they have been missing Botman all, most of the season, so that's part of why that is. But, you know, in terms of the rest of the league, we're, we're matching them all defensively. We've got the third-best attack in the league as well. Uh, City have scored 31. Villa, surprisingly, with 29. And then also 27. That's one more than Arsenal with the greatest attacking wide players of all time, Bakayo Saka and Gabriel Martinelli. We've got the second-best goal difference in the league as well. So all things considered, like we're where we should be. We're second in the league. We've gone second today with that third goal, put us, put us above Arsenal. And we've played a harder run than Arsenal. So even though we're only ahead of them on goal difference, I think it's warranted to point out that we have played a harder schedule than them thus far. We're also dealing with the the Thursday night nonsense, which is, you know, it's difficult to do that Thursday, Sunday thing. Not many teams have had any real success doing that over the course of it being implemented. And you're seeing with, with Newcastle and with Brighton, the struggles they're having domestically, trying to balance Europe and... Uh, and the Premier League, so and West Ham as well. Like they're struggling domestically, despite a good win from come from behind win today. Um, so you know, all things considered, like you have to be happy with where we are. Yes, there's improvements to be made, but that's a good thing. If we were maxed out and you were looking at our team, thinking this is as good as we can get, and we were second, you'd be like, well, that's that's a bit of a you know a piss soaked blanket. Like you know, we're we're as good as we can be, and City are still better. But we have very clear areas that we know we can upgrade on and that we know will be upgraded on in the next 6, 12, 18 months. So Klopp 2.0 is off to a very, very good start. But this is only year one of it. This is just this is just the beginning. This is 16, 17 all over again, in my view. Now, we started off from a better position because, you know, we had Ali and we had Virgil and we had Trent and we had Mo. Whereas we didn't have those players back at the start of 2016, but we did have some really good players in that team. We had Bobby, we had Phil, we had just bought Sadio, we bought Ginny, we bought the tantrum king Joe Matip. So I think you know this is where I'm judging that's this this team on where I'm I'm comparing them to that 2016-17 team at the start of a cycle, not in the middle of a cycle, not towards the end, but right at the start. And if Mo was willing to commit his future, which David Ornstein has hinted that he might be, and I think Virgil will be locked down to a new contract as well, and we know Ali's going to be here for the foreseeable as well, there's no reason those lads can't play at this kind of level for the three, four, maybe we get lucky five years, and then we can build out around them. And we've got so many great pieces in place already with Ibu and Trent and McAllister and Sabozlai and Nunes and Jota and Gakpo and Diaz and Elliot and Jones. Like, plus all of these kids now appearing on the scene. Like Kwanzaa, Nyani, who's on the bench today, is... I, I've only seen clips. I don't watch the underage teams because I know what will happen is I'll watch one of them play and I'll go, this kid is unbelievable. And I'll rattle off 
on Twitter that he's this kid's definitely going to make the first team, and then for some reason he won't. And in eight years, some prick will have a screenshot of it on his phone. Because um, <laughs> there's still there's still a very weird fella that you used to podcast with who puts up a tweet that I sent out in 2011 or 12 that I thought Jordan Rossiter was going to be a first team player for us, which was pretty common opinion at the time. Um, so I, I just don't bother anymore with our, our young players, but. Uh, this Nyani kid from the, the the clips that you see, he does look a special talent. So, you know, you him, Ben Doak, Kate Gordon is back now. Bobby Clark looks a very interesting player. Scanlon looks interesting. Chambers looks interesting. So, you know, I, I think we're we're really well set up. If we if we add the centre back or the, the left back we need, if we add that holding midfielder couple of bits around the edge in terms of, you know, maybe a backup to Trent and maybe a backup winger and maybe we upgrade on Kelleher and it's like you have to be you have to be positive about where we are now. I, I don't have us winning the league this season, so I've got no expectation that we will. So if we don't, I'm not gonna be upset. I know you 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 have you know, you have hope that we can win it. Um but I don't think gun to your head you'd say definitely we're gonna win the league this year. So you know, I think we're all being realistic about where this team is. And as long as we continue to do that, not get too down about the bad results. Like we we drew last weekend, but we were still fourth. You know, we we're still in the top four, which is positive. I think we were actually third, weren't we? We were third after that Luton game. Yeah. We were ahead of Arsenal. So, you know, as long as as long as we keep ahead of Arsenal, I, I think we're gonna end up pretty well off in the league and we've got those cups to go and compete for and we're you know, bad results during the week, but we're still doing well in, in Europe. We're still going well in the the league cup so I, I think all things considered whatever we are 16 17 18 games into this season in all competitions 18 games in all competitions i think you have to be really happy with where we are right now definite areas to upgrade on but lots and lots of positives look to be sitting where we are in the table um uh, i think it was referred to as by one of our podcast compadres back in the day is handily placed um we're a couple of points off three points off city if the current city result with 50 odd minutes gone at 3-2 against chelsea stands um there is still time for chelsea to do a thing and perhaps bring us to a situation which many people would have thought was borderline impossible we've got so many exciting young fellas coming through that you mentioned our purchases have been, on the whole, I think, uh, very much upside uh, rather than downside. And I love the idea. Very excited about the concept of us adding to that and this being a 2.0 project. Yeah. And the idea that there will be new and hugely impactful footballers coming to the club. That's mm. a really, really exciting... And I didn't even mention Gravenberg. Like, exactly. We've got that many. Like, he just completely slipped my mind. So, like... It, it's all very positive. It, like there's, there's no reason for people to be reacting with the Joel Matip level tantrums that we saw last weekend. Um, yeah, so like just you know, good result today, good position in the league. If City win, they win. If they don't, we might go to the Etihad next weekend and get something, or not, not next weekend, the weekend after. But it, you know, if we go there and lose, it's not going to be the end of the world either. You know, we'll okay. still be in a strong position. You've mentioned it. We've got a stint of time between now and that City game, which means international break, which means that you will be 
doing your usual, but ex- except you won't also, because like me, a lot of your shows are match related. Mm. Um, you'll have your usual dailies. Uh, anything else that folks can look forward to? Any of your kind of um, novelty uh, shows with Carl or anything like that you've got coming up? Yeah, we're going to do a couple of different types of scouts um, over the next couple of weeks. We're starting work on the the transfer committee pod ahead of the January window, so we're putting together lists and Dan Kennett will be doing statistical breakdowns of them and Mo will be digging into the finances and whatever else and then we'll so we'll have that one, but it'll probably be after the break, admittedly, probably early December. Um myself and yourself, I think we'll we'll hopefully get together for at least one if not two during this international break and, you know, something a little bit different and on the books or a buzz or maybe one of each. And, uh, yeah, I'd be busy. Wednesday, Thursday this week, I'm away, but uh, I'm unavailable. But uh, for the rest, I'll be around. Uh, very much well-deserved gap uh, of time as well, if I, if I may say so. I... Um enjoy my daily listen to you on our show as I on our channel as I assume most people who are listening to this do as well and that was Dave Hendrick you heard Harry Sethi who is equally worth your ear attention I've been Trev Denny this is Raw we'll be back from Manchester City with the Reds second place in the Premier League regardless of what happens tonight with City and Chelsea that's nice we'll see you soon we hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.